Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans 3:22-26. God treats everyone alike. He accepts people only because they have faith in Jesus Christ. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God treats us much better than we deserve because of Jesus Christ. He freely accepts us and he is our sacrifice. Christ offered his life's blood so that we may be in him and we could come to God. God did this to show him that we could come to him and that in the past he was right to be patient, to forgive us of our sins, and also to show that God is right and that he accepts people who have faith in Jesus. Amen. Rosh Hashanah started last week, the head of the year, New Year's Day, as it were, two days celebrated, part of the High Holy Days, ushers in the days of awe, days of introspection, days of making amends, basically In the new year, according to Jewish understanding, God writes your fate. He writes you into the book of those who will live this year or those who will die, those who will prosper or those who will suffer adversity, those who will be healthy and those who will be sick. And on Yom Kippur, which begins tomorrow evening at sunset, basically... uh, By Western reckoning, it's Monday. That is final. It's sealed. It's done with. It's over. It's irrevocable. Now, we don't know whether God has written us in the book of those who will die this year, those who will live, those who will prosper or face adversity, those who will be sick or those who will be well. So it might behoove us, I'm thinking now along the lines of this series of holidays, to see what we could do to change our fate. Now, as it goes, there are things to be done. We'll talk about what those were biblically and how the tradition, a little, the, the tradition of course as we have it today is expanded from Leviticus. But basically it's a time of making peace with your neighbor and reconciling yourselves to your enemies as best you can. It's a time of confessing your sins that you have against one another and of making amends. So if I know that I have ripped Peter off in business this year and I really owe him $200 more than I have paid him, this is the week for me to take care of that because that $200 might stand between life and death for me this coming year, sickness and wellness or who knows what else. It's the the time to make it work and to make it right. This has to be done before the beginning of Yom Kippur. It must be done before. And in the Torah, the, the atonement that's provided for really only occurs between you and God and those sins you've committed against God. These sins that you've committed against others, these uh, broken relationships are really 
for you to go mend. And so now at that juncture, you say, well, I'm making peace with my fellow man and now it's time to make peace with God. And there are beautiful ways in which this is done in liturgy. And Bunny, is now a good time to invite you up to read that beautiful prayer you read in Sabbath school. I want you to listen to the beauty of this confessional prayer, corporate prayer. To everything there is a season, and there is an appointed time for every purpose under heaven. Now is the time for turning. For leaves and birds and animals, turning comes instinctively, but for us, turning does not come so easily. It takes an act of will for us to make a turn. It means breaking with old habits. It means admitting that we have been wrong. These things are very hard to do, but unless we turn, we will be trapped forever in yesterday's ways. God, help us turn from callousness to sensitivity from hostility to love, from pettiness to purpose, from envy to contentment, from carelessness to discipline, from fear to faith. Turn us around, O God, and bring us back toward you. Revive our lives as at the beginning, and turn us toward each other, God, for in isolation there is no life. Amen. You hear the power and the beauty of these words. It's not just a simple matter of confession of a particular sin or shortcoming, a particular bad habit or fault that we might find in ourselves. Yes, the introspection covers those things as well, but it is a serious matter of direction and community. And what we might call entropy, spiritual entropy. (laughs) The law of entropy in physics says that the world is moving toward, uh, the universe is moving toward disorder, not order, to chaos. The spiritual law of entropy says the same thing. We tend to move not naturally to God. It is our disposition and our nature to consistently move against God. It is the miracle of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. And it is the focus of will daily. You've heard Paul say it, I die daily, right? The focus of will daily that keeps us on a path directed toward God, toward goodness, toward grace. So I don't know what you've done this week. I don't know if you thought, if you were here last week at all, I don't know if you thought, well, that was just kind of an interesting little thing on some Jewish thing, and for whatever it's worth, I'm going to take that and leave and go eat lunch. I suspect that's probably what about 97% of you did, but maybe 3% of you had a week of introspection, a week of confession, a week of making amends, a week of working on that life direction, a week of appealing to God as this prayer does to set our direction aright, to put us back on a path toward him. I like that so very much. 
Yom Kippur itself is an interesting day. It is a complete Sabbath. 25 hours, no food, no drink, including water. So tank up. It is a complete fast in that no work, a complete Sabbath in that no work takes place in the household at all. It is a somber day. It is a day of abstinence. It is a day of not wearing leather. I wore leather today. Of course, Monday technically is Yom Kippur. And uh, I would point out that we do have Romans coming later in the sermon here, which brings us into the Christian era and uh, might update that for us just a little. But I wore all white today. We think of it as wonderful clothing for hot weather, perhaps. Or maybe you just think I'm underdressed. We'll just ask you to keep those opinions to yourself. No. <laughs> Sorry. It's been quite a week. Um, what, whatever we want to say, white is a sign of purity. It's a sign of cleanliness. It's a sign of all kinds of things in our culture. But it is worn at Yom Kippur because it is what the dead are buried in. They're wrapped in white. White is the symbol of death. And this Sabbath that marks the sealing of fate, the end of the days of awe, the end of these days of celebrating what will be new and what will be done in us and among us. There is a Overlay. Last week I spoke of a different kind of overlay. I spoke of one in which the tradition of taking sweet apples and dipping them in sweet honey and eating them was part of the tradition. Taste and see that the Lord is good. His mercies, they just go on, don't they? So there are these tangible reminders plugged into these seasons that help us on the one hand to, to think about the sovereignty of God, the majesty of God, the greatness of God, the lordship of God. Things built in to help us understand again the right relationship of maker and creature, creator and creature. We have a sweetness to this understanding and to this reality and to this God. And there is a death to it too. And this is carried forward in the Christian tradition, isn't it? For we have been crucified with Christ. And if we've participated in his death, we've participated also with his resurrection. And now Christ lives in me, and I live in Christ, and I am a new creature. That is the story. 
That is the, the death and the resurrection. We celebrate it in baptism. And very often, baptismal robes are white. Carryover, perhaps, of these understandings. And also, of course, a, a, a carrying into the understanding of white as purity and so forth. I'd like for you very much to turn to Leviticus 16. We are not familiar with the language of Yom Kippur. Oh, we've heard it said, and especially since the Yom Kippur War took place. That terrible day in which the enemies of Israel decided that they would attack on the holiest of holy days. On this day of fasting. On this day of people being in their homes and businesses being closed. On this complete Sabbath. And they sprung a surprise attack. And if you should ever be in Israel, you'll hear hear stories of uncles who died in that war. Of the fear and uncertainty that that time created. Of the efforts to organize and how disorganized it was initially. And how ultimately there was victory. And how Israel has never been the same since. Those of you who have studied it all, the Israeli Air Force sits in their planes with the engines running 24-7. They can scramble to fly anywhere in the world in under a minute. And if you know how small the place is, you understand why. It takes just over a minute for any incoming missile from a nearby country to reach them. They don't have any time. So we think in the contemporary context of Yom Kippur, maybe in those terms, but it is a familiar day to us in other terms. In fact, it's a big part of our theology because it bleeds over into our doctrine of sanctuary. But let's start with the Day of Atonement itself, chapter 16. I'm going to refrain from reading the whole thing, but I'm going to read a portion so you get the flavor of the seriousness of what's spoken of here. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. So right off the bat, we have a scene of death, a very serious sort of somber scene, which goes back to chapter 10, the death of Nadab and Abihu. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. What a terrible day for a high priest. What a terrible day for a father. Two sons gone. And in the presence of the Lord, They had disobeyed the ordinance of the Lord where the Holy of Holies and the presence of the Lord was concerned. I don't think we can appreciate 
what this really means. I know I can't. Maybe, maybe you can, and I'll try to describe it the best I can. But the, what would it be like to have the tangible presence of the Lord with us? Now, we say he's with us, and we believe he lives where? Right here in our hearts. We don't need an earthly sanctuary, so to speak, because he's with us all the time. But if you think about it, when the exodus took place, even prior to it, when Moses was recruited to go before Pharaoh, the presence of the Lord was in a burning bush in which the fire never did consume the bush. Take off your shoes, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. Moses has the nerve to argue with the Lord about the terms of his appearances in Egypt. And Aaron is ultimately sent with him. It takes a terrible trial and the ruining of Egypt before God's people are let go. But the exodus commences. You know that they got to the Red Sea and the rod of Moses was brought out to separate the waters at God's bidding. People walked on dry land. They entered into the desert and the armies of Pharaoh were destroyed. You know that later they built a sanctuary, an earthly sanctuary, a portable one, a tent of meeting, modeled after a heavenly one. You know that while they marched through the desert and while they camped, there was a presence of God, pillar of fire by day and pillar, I mean by night and pillar, pillar of cloud by day. And when the sanctuary was set up, when the tabernacle was in place in the midst of the camp of the people, that presence in the cloud of fire, in the cloud of mist, hovered over the Holy of Holies in the sanctuary, over the spot where the ark had been placed, that ark carefully constructed with specific instructions at God's command. That ark that would later hold a jar of manna, the rod of Aaron, the Ten Commandments. That ark upon which there was a polished gold surface known as the mercy seat and cherubims in gold, seraphims, with their wings folded over the mercy seat. And over that spot would be this pillar, this presence. That must have been amazing. I, I can't relate to it. I can't comprehend it. But it is into this presence that unauthorized fire was brought and the somberness of our story is set up. On the Day of Atonement, which was Yom Kippur, which was the day in which the sanctuary would be cleansed, the high priest, in this case Aaron, had to make very special provisions. First, he had been through the days of awe. He would prepare himself Verse 3, this is how Aaron was to enter the sanctuary area with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. 
He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. So he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness or desert as a scapegoat. And so then it repeats. We find, well, let me lay it out for you. You can read the whole thing. It's fascinating. And probably if you read it about five times, it starts to sink in. There's the outer wall of the sanctuary. There is the sanctuary itself comprised of holy and holy of holies. Outside of the main holy place, the main tent at the entrance of the meeting, there are two large pieces of furniture. Do you remember what they are? A laver, which was a fountain of sorts for washing in, correct? And what was the other? Offer of burnt offering, a four-horned altar, a very large altar for the burning of offerings. Every part of this had to be cleansed because all year long what was happening was Joe and Jane Sinner were bringing their offerings, their goats, their flour, their doves, whatever they could afford, whatever their status demanded, whatever the magnitude of their sin required, whether it was a sheep or a goat or a ram or a bull, they brought it and it was sacrificed. And there were specific rules governing sin sacrifices. And what was happening at the Day of Atonement was a special kind of sin sacrifice. First of all, Aaron had to be found worthy. So he went through personal cleansing and he went through physical cleansing and he wore special garments and he he appeared ready to make atonement for himself and his family through the offering of a bull. Now, once the bull was sacrificed and the ram, once the two goats chosen, the, the goat of the scapegoat would be dealt with differently, but the sacrificial goat, once these things were sacrificed, there was a routine that would be followed. Cleansing would start in the Holy of Holies. Aaron would take a bull with some of the blood first of the bull. I said bull, bull, anyway. I'm a, a vessel with blood of the bull that he had sacrificed and incense. Coals from the altar that would then be covered with incense and the smoke from that would obscure the mercy seat, would obscure the vision of the presence of God and preserve his life. And as he went in with this incense then, he was to dip his finger, actually his right index finger, it's very specific, into the bowl of blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat or in front of the Ark of the Covenant seven times. Why seven? Seven. 
perfection, completion. Basically, this is the full cleansing, the full atoning, the full uh, sacrificial process is completed in this. Then he stepped out and repeated the process in front of the curtain of the holy place. And then he went out and put blood on the horns of the four-pronged altar and poured the blood out at the base of the altar. The process was repeated with the goat. And then at the end of that, he took a special goat that had been by lots determined to be the scapegoat, put both hands on it, and put all of the sins of the people on that goat. And the goat was led out into the wilderness by a designated person who set it free in the wilderness and returned to camp and after washing his clothes and bathing was allowed to rejoin the camp. This was the day of cleansing, of atonement. Everything had to be purified. And in the end, they still didn't have a way of getting rid of sin except to put it on a goat and send it into the wilderness. Turn with me to Romans. Romans 3. This, Romans 3.22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished and he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It's interesting to me how Jesus really becomes not just the blood of cleansing and sacrifice, but in these hours before his sacrifice, in these days of silence in the tomb, he is the scapegoat sent to the wilderness. One innocent upon whom the blame of humanity has been put. Well, this is Yom Kippur. The holiest day of the year. And I just want to remind us, God help us turn from callousness to sensitivity, from hostility to love, from pettiness to purpose, from envy to contentment, from carelessness to discipline, from fear to faith, Turn us around, O God, and bring us back towards you. Revive our lives as at the beginning. And turn us toward each other, God, for in isolation there is no life. May the God of all creation and new beginnings cleanse us and go with us and lead us and turn us aright, for we, Lord, would be your people. Amen.